we continue um, in our series on 1 Corinthians. Uh, like I said, I know it's a little bit different, but, uh, but, but we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. If you've been following along in your study Bible, go ahead and grab it. Otherwise, whatever Bible you have in your home is going to work just fine. Uh, but we are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. We're starting in verse uh, 11. I'm sorry, verse 10, and we're going to finish the chapter. Okay, so 10 through uh, 23, and we'll get through chapter 3 today. Okay, so you can go ahead and open up and get ready. Today we talk, Paul talks to us about uh, rewards, judgment and rewards for Christian believers. And we know all about rewards. As a culture, we're kind of hung up on it to a degree. Uh, In fact, next Sunday, um, I'm sure you know this, but next Sunday is the Super Bowl. There have been 32 teams that competed all year. Well, 31 and the Bears. Uh, but 32 teams that competed all year. And, and at the end of the day, there will be two teams of those 32 competing next Sunday for, for the Vince Lombardi trophy, for the, the championship, for the reward. Right? A hundred players out of about 1,700 will gather to play in Tampa Bay. And, and, and at the end of the day, one team will win. And, and invariably, um, they will stand on the stage, they'll receive the trophy, and somebody will say, this is why we play the game. This is why we play for this moment, to win this prize, to win this reward, to win this trophy. This is why we struggled. This is why we, we, um, we strived all year long. This is why we poured ourselves out uh, at practice and, and in film study and on game days so that we could stand here and we could celebrate this reward. And they'll take it and they'll hold it and they'll cherish it. Rewards matter, right? And, and here's the deal. It's not just a cultural phenomenon. It's also a Christian phenomenon. Reward should matter to the Christian as well. They mattered to Paul. In fact, they mattered to Paul so much that, that rewards are part of what drove him, right? That's why Paul says in, in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. Paul says, um, I am so excited about these rewards that Christ is going to give me. It's like all he can do is, is wait for the day where Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul says, I forget what's behind me, right? I, I push on to what's ahead. I'm running, but not half-heartedly. I'm running to win this race because I want the prize that Jesus has called me home for. I want the prize that he has for me. Right? And, and Paul knows this. He's not running so that he can brag. And he's not running against other Christians. Paul's actually running this race. He says, I forget what's behind me. And I strive for what's ahead. I'm running to win this prize that Christ is calling me for. And what he so desperately wants to win right, is this prize that Christ will give him for winning against his sin. He's not winning against other Christians. He's not trying to elevate himself past other believers, but he's trying to push past his sin nature, right? That brokenness that's in him and to conquer that and to win the reward that Christ has called him for. And so um, he is so grateful for what Christ has done that he just out of love and reverence and awe wants to conquer 
conquer his sin and receive the reward. And so here's the deal. He is looking graciously ahead. Revelations twenty two twelve. God says this. Christ says this. John records it. Paul is waiting for this moment. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Jesus says, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my reward with me. Those, those rewards matter to Paul. They should matter to us as believers. We should be striving. We should be like Paul, forgetting what's behind, running to what's ahead, and, and, and striving, right, to win this race, to receive this reward, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's on this backdrop of rewards for the believer that Paul writes this next section of the letter in 1 Corinthians. Right, he's been talking to the church in Corinth about division and wisdom and, and how to make godly decisions and how to put Christ first. And, and, and he, he's still talking about division to a degree, but he, but he transitions and he shifts and he starts talking about, as believers, how they should be striving for these rewards. And he's going to talk to them about this judgment seat called the Bema seat. Now, I want to be clear as we get into this text that, that when, when Paul talks to the church in Corinth about rewards and he talks about a judgment seat, he is not talking about the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation. In, in the book of Revelation, we, we see that, that John describes for us this moment, this great white throne judgment where the books of life and the book of, of, the book of life uh, where, where Jesus writes the name of those that are saved, that they're opened up, people that have accepted Jesus, people that are following Jesus, they are um, in heaven, people that have rejected Jesus, they are cast into hell. That is um, the great white throne judgment. But what Paul's describing to the church in Corinth is more like a tribunal, right? It's a judgment, but it's not a judgment about salvation. Nobody at the, at the Bema seat judgment will be condemned for their sin because their sin has been paid for by the cross. Instead, people at the Bema seat judgment, they will receive rewards for the good things that they've done as Christians, or they'll receive loss for the worthless things they've done as Christians. Paul talks about this in his second letter to the church in Corinth as well, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body, right? All of us Christians will stand before Christ in a tribunal judgment, the Bema seat judgment. And in that judgment, we will receive rewards for the good we've done as Christians, or we will receive loss, we'll suffer loss for the worthless things we've done as Christians, See, a lot of people think they're, once they decide to follow Jesus, once they walk through the door of salvation, they think nothing else matters. I'm saved. I'm good. Right? The problem is they don't understand that there are rewards that Christ will give to those that were faithful in following him. And there also will be loss. And a lot of people struggle with this idea. How, how can it be heaven if there are rewards and loss. And I think it's that misconception that, that drives us sometimes to think that once we've become a Christian, it's okay to just stay put, that we don't have to grow, that it's not expected because we're already going to heaven anyway. 
right? But, but think of it like this. I heard Tony Evans once talk about this, and he said it was like um, the state fair. Now, a lot of you have been to the, the state fair in, in Iowa, um, and apparently in Texas, it's just as big a deal, uh, the state fair. And, and he said, you know, he always got to go for free because somebody in the congregation would invariably give him a ticket to go to the fair. And so it was free entrance into the fair, just like we have free entrance into heaven through uh, the, the blood of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have free entrance to heaven. But once you get your free entrance into the fair, he says, what you soon discover is that just because you are at the fair does not mean you get to be a full participant at the fair. Because you soon find out that your ability to participate is closely tied to your ability to pay for things. So some work that you've done on the outside must contribute to the participation on the inside, right? There are rides that cost money. There is food that costs money, right? There are extra activities that you must purchase to participate in them. And so his, his analogy is simply this. Yes, there is a free ticket to enter into the fair, but unless you've done outside work, while you are at the fair, you are not a full participant unless you have the ability to earn those things and to pay for those things. And, and that's what heaven will be like. There are many people who will be there. And, and be clear, it is by far better to be there than not be there, right? It's a better experience to be in heaven than to be in hell, to be anywhere else, right? But full participation, right, depends on rewards, Simply put it this way, the work we do here as Christians matters, right? What you do as a Christian matters. It does not matter for your salvation, right? But it matters for this moment, this Bema Seat judgment, right? And, and so we're going to track this and we're going to see. So let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and Paul talks about this as a building, Right? He says, what you build as a Christian matters and it will be judged. Okay? And so starting in, in, uh, in, in the first two verses there, 10 and 11 in chapter 3, here's what he says. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's going to start talking about how we as Christians are builders of the kingdom and what we do matters and we're building. And he's going to go into that, but he starts by saying this, hey, let's be clear. There is a foundation. He says, as a master builder, I, the other apostles, we have laid that foundation, right? And, he, and he's not bragging, right? But he, but he says very clearly, we have laid that foundation by the grace of God. And that foundation is very clearly Jesus Christ, right? In fact, he says this, he says, um, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, right? Like no one is allowed to lay a foundation that's different. There is only one foundation that Christians can build on. The only thing Christians can build on is Jesus Christ crucified. Dead, buried, risen, resurrected, 
and in heaven. That is the foundation that we have as Christians to build on. You know, there are a lot of churches, and there are a lot of individuals, there are a lot of people throughout history who have tried to build on a different foundation. Secularism, right? Um, Pop psychology, self-improvement, even some things that, that are a little bit more religious like tradition, decisions that church leaders made a long time ago. People will build in, in entire religions and denominations and things on those decisions. And ultimately, what, what Paul says is those things are going to fail. Those things will fail because they're built on a foundation different than Jesus Christ. But there's one foundation. And every Christian that intends to build must do so on Jesus Christ nothing else. This is why sometimes we, we struggle, um, with, we struggle with, with treating extra biblical things, even if they're things that church leaders taught centuries ago. Good church leaders taught these things centuries ago, but, it, but if we can't clearly discern them in Scripture— right, clearly discern them in Scripture, then we have to wonder, are we building on the foundation of traditions of men? Or are we building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Right? This is why we push back clearly as a body against things like salvation through baptism, salvation through confirmation, salvation through communion, right? We push back hard on those. Those are foundations that are different than Jesus Christ crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, conquering. We build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as I read scripture, right, I I have to build on the foundation of, of this, not on the teachings and traditions of men. We have to be careful. Paul says, if anybody um, tries to build on another foundation, it's, it, it's going to fail because you can't. It's only Jesus Christ, right? The foundation is set. It's solid. And he says this too. He says, so each one, each workman should be careful how he builds, right? Each person should be careful how he builds. We are builders, and, and some people read that text and they think, oh, Paul's just talking about church leaders, right? He, he says, I laid this foundation so other people have to be careful not to change the foundation, just to build on Jesus. So they think, oh, well, that's for church leaders. They have to be careful. But no, he says, if any man, any woman, any individual builds on this, then that person should be careful. And here's the deal. As Christians, we know that we are building on that foundation, There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a builder. There is no such thing as a Christian that's not a builder. We'll never find that in Scripture. Uh, We see, look, in, in 2 Corinthians, here's what Paul says. God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we say, come back to God. We have work to do as Christians. We are builders. If you are somebody who has walked through the door of salvation, you have been born again, you have been made new in Christ, then you are a builder of the kingdom. Whether it's a job you applied for or not doesn't matter. Whether you are a church leader standing on a stage or not doesn't matter. The reality is you are a builder because you are a Christian. And as a Christian, as a new creation, as somebody made new in the Holy Spirit, you have been given a job. You are an ambassador. You are an agent of reconciliation. You speak for God when you tell people hey, come back. God has made Jesus Christ your Savior so that you do not have to pay the penalty for your sin, but that instead he paid it on the cross. You are an agent of reconciliation. This is a job you have. We are all builders of the kingdom. And listen to me. What Paul's saying here, he's saying, when you build, you better build carefully because the foundation is set right? The foundation is set and you better build carefully. Nobody gets to be careless. As a Christian, you don't have the luxury of being careless with the gospel. That's why Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to him through God the Father. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because you don't get to be flippant with the gospel, and, and, and your Christianity is not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a Sunday morning thing. Some of you are like, yeah, I'll be really careful when I go to church. But you are always building. You are an agent of reconciliation. You've been given a job to do. You are a builder of the kingdom, right? And you never get to be flippant with that job. You never get to punch out. You never get to set it down. You never get to decide that you're going to pursue something else instead of, right? You are an agent of reconciliation. You are a builder, right? So, so whether you're at school, whether you're with your buddies from work, your extended family, your neighbors, your coworkers, I, I, don't, I don't know, but wherever you are, you are working you're building for the kingdom. Some people build intentionally, and that's awesome. Some people build out of neglect, but they're still building. The difference is something that is built with purpose and, and something that's shoddy and thrown together. That's the metaphor Paul's using. He's saying, you are a builder, so be careful to build well, right? Because if you're not intentional, if you don't have the attitude that whatever I do, I do it as if to the Lord, then you're building haphazardly, and, and it won't stand up. See, remember, this is happening at the Bema Seat Judgment. He says there's a foundation, right? The foundation is Jesus Christ. That is safe. It's secure. It is solid. It will never crack. It will never falter. It will never sink. It's a foundation that is sure. Your job is to build on that foundation, 
And, and he says this, he says, be careful. This next chunk in, in, in verse 12, he says, be careful the materials you use. As a builder, you have to choose well your materials. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There's a couple things there let's break apart. You know, the, the first thing he says is simply this, that, that there is going to be a moment, right, where, where you will have to decide how to build. You are a builder, remember? That's not an option. As long as you are alive, you are a builder of the kingdom. The foundation is set, you are saved, which makes you a builder. And he says, some of you will use gold, silver, and precious stones. Think about that. Gold, silver, precious stones, these are valuable. They're beautiful. They persevere, right? They're pure. They hold up. They cost time and, and, and attention and resources. And he says, but some of you will use wood, hay, and straw. I mean, wood, hay, and straw, and those are passing. They're cheap. They're temporary, right? They're, they're easy to get. They might even be ugly. He says, be careful how you build. Some of you will use the good stuff. Some of you will use the cheap stuff. I, I, I want to be careful here because this is where people get confused, the kind of building materials that you use, remember, this is a metaphor. It's not literal. So Paul's not saying, well, if you can't afford gold, you're out of luck, right? This is a metaphor. It has nothing to do with value um, that you possess. It has to do with um, what you're willing to pour out for God. Some people think this is about spiritual gifts. Well, if you have the spiritual gift of preaching and teaching, then that's gold, if you have the spiritual gift of serving behind the scenes, like Scott and Malia are doing this morning, uh, then, then that's more like wood or hay. It's just not as valuable. But that's not at all what Paul's saying here. That's not at all what the Bema Seat Judgment will be about. It's not about the spiritual gift that you've been given. It's not about um, the value of things that you have right? Because everything we have is given by God. The gift to preach and teach is given by God. The gift to serve is given by God. The gift of humility is given by God. All of these things are given by God, right? What it means is, right, that from what God has given me, what I pour out will either be gold or it will be hay. It'll be silver or it will be wood, or it'll be precious stones, or it'll be straw. With what God's given me, what do I give him back? That's what we'll be judged on, right? Because God has blessed each and every one of us in his own way. Think about this. So, so for me as a pastor, right, I will not be judged at the Bema Seat. Oh, thank goodness, at the Bema Seat judgment. I will not be judged on whether or not I am as good a pastor, as good of a preacher as some other preachers. Because listen, there are some great preachers out there. I will not be judged on whether or not I am as good of a scholar as other people, because there are people that are so much better at scholarly research than I am. 
right? I will not be judged on whether I can be witty and clever in delivering a sermon the way somebody else is witty and clever in delivering a sermon, right? I won't be judged on that, and I thank God for it, right? Because that would be judging me against them. That's not what God intends to do. God intends to judge me with what he's given me. So for me, I will be judged on whether or not I was intentional with my sermon preparation. Did I spend the time? Was it prayerfully considered? Did I, to the best of my own ability, not somebody else's ability, but did I, to the best of my own ability, dig in and study and work hard? Did I strive to make it understandable? Did I strive to figure out how to present it in a way that it would connect to the congregation? That's what I'll be judged on. Not what somebody else does, but what I did with what God gave me. It's the same with giving. Think about it with giving, right? You're not going to be judged by the amount that you give. God says, I want you to be generous with what I've given you, right? So somebody else may be in a position to give significantly more than I can. God won't judge me against that because those are resources he gave them. What he will judge me on are how generous am I with the resources he gave me. All I can do is respond appropriately in worship with what he's given me. And if I respond well, I'm building with gold, silver, and precious stones. If I respond poorly, then I'm building with wood, hay, straw, stubble, and it won't last. There's three ways that we can make sure we're building well. I want you to really get this, right? Because some people will ask, well, Matt, I I think I'm building well. How do I know for sure? Well, there's just three simple things that you can always use to check yourself. Are you building with good materials? And the first is your motives. Listen, why you do something matters as much, if not more, than what you do. Right? Do, do Do you serve God out of compulsion that's wood. Or do you serve God out of a heart to see him glorified? That's gold. Do you, do you sing a solo at church because you want people to tell you how good you are at singing and you want them to praise you? That's hay. Right? Or, or do you sing because you so desperately want to glorify God with the gift that he gave you? And that's silver. Like, like there's this thing where, where our motives matter. Why are we doing what we do, right? Are we doing it begrudgingly or complaining? And that's straw. Or are you doing it with a heart of such gratitude for what God has done for you? And that is precious stones, and that will last. So our motives, we build by our motives. You know what else? We build by our conduct, and, and, and we Christians, especially in this culture, this is one we just don't talk about nearly as much as we should. I, I feel like we talk about it here at Blessed Hope a lot. Um, maybe we should talk about it more. I, I don't know. But, but our conduct matters. When you say, I am a Christian and you are a believer of Jesus, and yet you go on living wantonly sinful lives, your conduct doesn't match up. Now, like last week, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, right? But what I'm saying is your conduct is unchristian, right? 
I mean, let's be so clear here. You will never be saved by your good works. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You won't stay saved by your good works, right? Good works can't save you, and good works won't keep you saved. But you were saved to do good works, they should naturally flow out of you. Ephesians 2.10 says, uh, right, that, that we were made new in Christ to do the things that he planned for us long ago. Good works don't save me. Good works don't keep me saved. That's all about Jesus. Jesus saved me. Jesus keeps me saved. But good works are something that I should be doing as a Christian to show it. I should be living it out right? And your conduct, right? Your motives are important. Your conduct is important. If you are going to say, I am a follower of Christ, I am saved, but you refuse to grow. You refuse to stop doing sin. You refuse to stop getting drunk. You refuse to stop using crude, filthy language. You refuse to stop taking the Lord's name in vain. You refuse to stop sexually sinning, right? You're like, I am a follower, but yet your behavior refuses to come along. That is worthless building, and it won't last. It won't last, right? It's not taking your salvation away, but it certainly won't bring you reward. So you you have to build through motives, conduct, and then through service. Are you ministering in his name? right? Each one of us has been, and we'll talk about this later in in this letter to the church at Corinth, each one of us has been gifted by God. We have natural skills and abilities that God knit in us when he wove us together in our mother's womb. And then when we are reborn in Christ, when we are made new, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes in us and we are given a spiritual gift, but we have to use them. If we have been uniquely gifted by God and we refuse to use them, then we aren't building. We're not building well. We're not building something that will last. We're not building something that will bring reward. But if we take the gifts, the abilities, the spiritual gift that God has given us and we use them for his service to his kingdom... And when we do that, we are building something of gold, silver, and precious stones, something that will last, right? There's a foundation that is Jesus Christ. We are all called to be builders as Christians, and it matters what we choose to build with through our motives, through our behavior and our conduct, and through our service. And it matters because a test is coming. Here's, let's go back to this. This is what Paul says. He says, um, now, if you build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work, this pick up in verse 12 or 13, each one's work will become manifest, right? That means it, it'll, it'll be shown for what it is because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, so here's what he's saying, right? He's saying that, that there is going to be a building inspection, 
right? Just like if you were to build a new home, right? You would have a very careful inspector that would come and make sure it was proper. Well, you will have a building inspection. Whatever you build metaphorically uh, for the kingdom of God on the foundation of Christ, right? Whatever you build is going to be inspected. It's going to be tested. How is it tested? Well, he uses this, this metaphor of this analogy of it'll be tested by the purifying fire. Because fire test. That's what we use to test precious metals, precious stones, right? You know, this is you you heat up the the silver or the gold, right? And and, and when it's heated, all of the impurities rise to the top. And so you scrape away the impurities and then you heat it again and the impurities rise to the top and you scrape them away. And eventually you've heated it so much and you've scraped away the impurities that what's left is pure, right? That is the refining fire. And God says, I will use that fire to test your buildings, to test your materials. And if you built with wood, hay, or straw, those things will burn away, right? It'll show what kind of work it was. It wasn't work with the right motives. It wasn't building with with the right Christian conduct. And and it wasn't building with with the service uh, and the gifts that God has given, but if they're gold, silver, precious stones, if it was good motive, if it was striving to be holy in your conduct, if it was pouring yourself out in the gifts that God has given you for the sake of others in the church, then those will show as pure and they'll make it through. Right? There's a test. And here, here's what he says in, in the next four verses. He lays out, how it's going to work, right? That the fire will test what we've built. And and there are four types of workmen, I'm sorry, three types of workmen that come out in these next four verses. In verse 14, he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. As a workman, our building, if we have the right motive, right? And the right conduct and, and the right service, if we, if we, are intentional about building on the foundation of Christ, then our, our building, our work will be constructive. It will matter and it will last. And God says, we will receive a reward for that. We'll receive a reward. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but it will be like one only escaping through fire. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying this, this is the category of, are we sure that, that Christians who don't work hard get to go to heaven? Yes, right? Their work will burn up. They will suffer loss, but they themselves will survive, right? They'll have a ticket to the fair. And again, it, it's much better to be at the fair than not be at the fair, but they won't be full participants in the rewards that God is going to give. And then finally, he gets down to this third kind of workman. The first is, is constructive. Then there's the worthless workman who, who's, who's building. Maybe was intentional, maybe wasn't, but it burns up and it's worthless. Um, and then he talks about this third kind that is altogether different. This is the kind of workman that isn't actually building on the right foundation. And they will be destroyed. Here's what he says in verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So he's describing this third type of workman, this this one doomed for destruction, that, that, that is destroying, right? Not building, but destroying. How are they destroying? Well, they're building on the wrong foundation, first of all. Jesus says in Matthew, anyone that hears my words and builds on them is like building on a foundation. Anyone who hears my words and doesn't, it's like they're building on sand, and and it will waste away and be destroyed, right? And I think what Paul's telling us here is, is that there are some people, even in and amongst us, who do not belong to the family of God. Right? Now, I want to be clear about this. It's not saying that they don't belong like, oh, you don't belong here, get out. It's saying they don't belong because they haven't walked through the door of salvation. Now, sometimes those folks might think they have. They might think they're on good terms with Jesus. Sometimes they know they haven't, and they're what we would call wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Sometimes they're purposely destructive. Sometimes the whole purpose for somebody like that being in a body of Christ is to cause problems and to to teach false things and to try to pull people away. Luckily, I don't think that happens here at Blessed Hope too often. Doesn't mean it hasn't, doesn't mean it won't. I think for us, what we more have to deal with is people who think they've walked through the door of salvation because they've been involved in tradition, because they've attended, or because they've grown up in, because they've gone through some rituals, but they haven't yet submitted and surrendered to Jesus Christ. They haven't personally surrendered to him, and therefore they haven't been born again. I've talked to a lot of people. It's not uncommon for me um, to talk to people who will tell me stories about how they grew up in church um, and they always thought they were good, but it wasn't until later that they realized that, no, 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 they weren't good. They still needed to be saved. They still needed to surrender to Jesus for their salvation. We've heard many testimonies from here at the church. I think the latest one we heard was from Dave Davis. Who, who was a good guy, went to church all his life, but it wasn't until he was an adult that he decided that he understood and he needed salvation and he chose Jesus Christ um, and, and was born again and saved. And, and so I think Paul's saying, look, if you're building on a different foundation, man, destruction is what's waiting for you. You won't have your building burned up, but yet still escape the flames, but you will be destroyed. Because you're not born again. It's a nice reminder for us. I don't want anybody here as a believer to question your salvation. If you have made the decision to follow Jesus, you are born again. But if you're not sure that you've made that decision, then don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. It's time for surrender. It's time to follow. It's too much at stake to be wrong about that. And then for the, for the last chunk of this, Paul circles back, right? He circles back to a common topic in these first three chapters of, of this letter, right? He talks about, look, as Christians, there is this foundation of Jesus, 
we all build on this foundation of Jesus, right? Some of us, if we have good motives, good conduct, and good service, we are building with things that last that will get us a reward. Some of us, we are not being intentional. Our motives are wrong. You know, our hearts are askew. Our conduct is unchristian, right? And, and, and we're not serving. And so we'll be building with things that will be worthless and we'll suffer loss. He says, but, but here's the key. Verses 18 through 20. He says, you've got to have godly wisdom to see it well. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. Like, like this is, is the, the point he's been making about wisdom. He's like, so I'm asking you to build, right? And I'm asking you to build with good materials that will last, that will pass the test, that will bring you a reward. But don't get caught up thinking that you need to build like the rest of the world builds. That's foolish. That won't work, right? He says what, what you build with, right, is self-sacrifice, what you build with is other-centeredness. What you build with is ridiculous generosity. What you build with is, is not being stoic and putting your best foot forward, but being vulnerable, right? And sharing, sharing your struggles, being there for people, putting yourself out there, doing what God has asked you to do. He says, don't get stuck trying to build with worldly wisdom. It will not work, right? But instead, build with godly wisdom. And then he finishes this chunk in these next three verses. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the, or the present or the future, all are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God. He's like, you know what? Let's put this to rest once and for all. You want to build well? Then stop worrying about what you have and what you don't have. Stop worrying about if it's Paul or if it's Peter or if it's uh, uh, Apollos. Stop worrying about that. Stop worrying about what you have and don't have. Stop worrying about what gifts you've received and what gifts you haven't received. He says, just quit, right? Because don't you know that everything is yours through Christ and you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Here's basically what he's saying. He's saying, stop worrying about worldly wisdom. Stop worrying about all of that. Build well. And it's, you've got everything you need. It's all yours, right? The teaching, the Holy Spirit, the gifts that God's given, the past, the future, it's all yours because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He's like, it is all in front of you. There is nothing we have to strive for. There's nothing we have to do besides be faithful with what God's given us. As a church, that's true. Listen, I know this is maybe an unpopular opinion to have sometimes in, in, in the church. This one's no different. But listen, while we always strive to improve and to be excellent, we are not missing a single thing that God wants us to have. Right? We are not missing a single thing that God wants us to have to be faithful and to build well. But you're like, man, maybe, maybe we don't have this that would help us build something cooler or better. And maybe we don't have this that would help us build something cooler or better. Yeah, maybe we don't. 
But you know what? God isn't going to judge us based on what we didn't have. God is going to judge us based on how we built with what he gave us. Are we building with proper motive? Are we building with uh, proper conduct? Are we building with good service for how he has gifted us? Are we building with gold and silver and precious gems? If we are, then our building will last. And we'll receive reward for that individually and as a church. He says, stop worrying about what you have or don't have. It's all yours. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, past, present, future. It's all yours in Christ because we belong to him and he belongs to God. And so as we wrap up um, this kind of weird Sunday, um, here's what I'd ask you. Here's what I'd ask you to consider. Um, Three questions. One, do you believe that as a Christian, you are a builder? Some of you, maybe that's the first time you're hearing about that. Some of you maybe know it, but aren't sure that it matters. But my question for you is, do you believe that you as a Christian are a builder? Basically, I'm asking this. Do you believe that what you do matters? That your conduct matters? That your motives matter? That your service matters? Do you believe that? And and are you building with purpose? Are you just letting it happen? Because if you're not doing it with purpose, you can't be surprised that it doesn't last. And what kind of materials are you building with? These are things I'm going to ask you to, to reflect on as we pray. And then I'm going to ask you not just to reflect on as we pray, right? But again, as Christians who are growing and maturing and we're eating solid food, not just milk, we're not just reflecting on it while we pray, but we're actually thinking about how to put it in practice. How do I check my motives? How do I check my conduct? How do I get involved in godly service? How do I make sure that I'm building with things that will last so that on that day, I don't just get a ticket to enter in to the fair, but that I experience the fullness of the rewards that God wants me to have. Right? Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you inspired Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit to write these words to the church in Corinth. And Father, we thank you that this, this idea that scripture is, is perfect and it's, um, it's inerrant, it's without defect, that not only was it meaningful and powerful for them in the culture that they lived in, God, but it also has so much for us here. It tells us who you are. You are a God that loves us, who cared for us, who saved us, and who wants to bless us with rewards. God, who wants to shower us with crowns of glory for your own sake. God, thank you for the word that's recorded. Thank you for our ability to understand it and to dig into it. Father, I pray that that we as folks here at Blessed Hope Community Church, and frankly, anybody else that might be participating in the live stream or watching a recording later, Father, we pray that, that we will walk through the door of salvation, trusting that Jesus Christ is real, that he died, that he rose, that we will be born again in the power of the Holy Spirit, but Father, that it won't stop there. 
that we would know that we are on mission, that you have prepared works for us to do, that we are saved by the grace of God, but that we are saved for the work that you have prepared for us and that we would work well. Father, I pray that we would build well, that we would build with things that would last and that, Father, together we would be able to celebrate the rewards that you will give us because of it. Father, the crowns that you will give us that we can worship you with. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us in this weird um, kind of a Sunday morning. Stay safe today and warm. And I will look forward to seeing you back here in the body next Sunday. Thank you.